look to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for the reading of your word and the hope that we hear in its pages, the hope of long ago fulfilled in the coming of Christ and the hope that we have even now of the return of our Savior to set all things right, to bring peace to this world, the Prince of Peace. As we look into your word, Lord God, might you be pleased to teach us, to refresh us, and to show us yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin our time by just reading another portion from the Gospels, John chapter 5. I invite you to open uh, in your Bibles to that chapter. John chapter 5. The words of Christ, uh, beginning in verse 31 of John chapter 5. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and yet do not seek the honor that comes from only God? Do not think that I came to accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You ever engaged in an exercise of missing the point? Like uh, this this little image up here, I think, uh, illustrates it. Think about it. Pretty good, hit the bullseye. Repeatedly hit the bullseye. Except the bullseye wasn't the target. We are good at missing the point. I think social media offers classic cases of missing the point. Not that I spend much time there because I find sometimes as you stroll down through the threads and the comments that it does not take long 
for people to be commenting with all of their eloquence and and all of their passion and, and all of their greatness of words, but they are completely missing the point. And, and sometimes people even may be making comments that are related to whatever the subject is that has come up. But if you read their comment and you compare it to the original statement, they have missed the point. There's a lot of that, which is why there really is not much value in spending time there. I don't know, I, and I don't believe that there's probably another season of the year in which people are more prone to miss the point than this season. And let's not even talk about how the point can be missed in all of this, in all of the decorating and the baking and the shopping and the entertaining and all the traditionalizing we do in this season. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But we can very easily, in the midst of all of that activity, completely miss the point. Oh, you know, I, I know we've... we've we make our, our to- token acknowledgement of Jesus. We say he's the reason for the season, and that's true, and it's a nice rhyme, but in itself it really says nothing. Wishing someone Merry Christmas, you know, and instead of Happy Holidays, I just want to be pretty clear on this. That's not evangelism, okay? It, it's wonderful, okay? It, it's wonderful to say Merry Christmas. Saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays is not evangelism. Happy birthday, Jesus. I love the statement, as long as we explain why Jesus even has a birthday. And maybe in the midst of that, we need to take some time to explain why we get all the presents on Jesus' birthday. I'm just saying, it is very easy for us, if we are not careful, to give lip service to the point, but actually miss the point of what we are celebrating in this season. I'm always actually a bit amazed at some of the performers that you hear you know, in Christmas specials or on the radio or on your fa- favorite CDs, some of the performers who, who sing Christmas carols. And I, and I will sit there sometimes wondering, do, do they really understand what they're saying? Do they really understand what they're singing? But even beyond that, we can do the same thing as we belt out our, fam- our, our favorite Christmas carols. Uh, sometimes we love to sing the Christmas carols because they evoke so many wonderful memories. But do we actually understand the point of what we're singing? I was thinking that this morning. We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Do you understand the point of that song? Did you take some time to really think about what it was we were, we were proclaiming, what it was we were longing for as we sang that very familiar Christmas carol of the season? Tonight we're hosting a a great event, Christmas in the Valley, and we're going to enjoy some food, and we're going to have live animals, and there's going to be wagon rides. We're going to have a musical performance from the Brexfield Broadview Heights uh, High School Holly Orchestra. They're going to be here bringing music to us. We're going to have a chance to talk about some things. There's going to be a, a lighting of the tree on the front yard. Do you know what the point of all that is? I, I really hope that we wouldn't come together and, and all the activity and all the work that's gone into this and will get into, go, go into this, the hours that will be devoted to, to all this and, and, and come to the event and enjoy the event and go home and have missed the point. 
in a couple weeks, our, our kids' choir, they're going to present a special Christmas program. Do you know what the point of that is? And no, parents, it's not for you to have photo ops for your kids. Go ahead. By all means, take, take all the pictures you want. Because they are sweet memories. Okay, we've got memories and, and pictures of our kids in programs. But that's not the point. I'm just saying, we run the risk in this season... Even in all of our God talk, even in all of our Jesus talk, we we run the risk of missing the point. In verse 39 of the text that I just read here from John chapter 5, Jesus accused the Bible scholars of his day, those who were the experts in the scriptures, Jesus accused them of missing the point. You search the scriptures, he says there in verse 39. You search them diligently. You, 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 you expound them. You debate them. You discuss them. You seek every little nuance of application from them that you can come up with. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, Jesus says, but these are they which testify of me. They testify of me. Think about it. The biblical scholars, the Bible experts of Jesus' day missed the point. That's frightening. That is frightening. That's, that's sobering for me even as I, as I sit down and prepare any given message for any given week. Anytime we open the word of God, I run the risk of actually missing the point. What an indictment. Jesus said the scriptures testify of himself. The Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, that which was collected and and expounds fully the Old Covenant and and, and those scriptures that look forward to more of what God is going to do, those those Old Testament scriptures filled, filled with the promises, but they are still our scriptures taken as a whole They testify of Jesus. That doesn't mean that Jesus is hidden in every rock and flower and mountain or character in the Old Testament. It means that the point of the scriptures and and the scriptures that they had there in the Old Testament, but it applies to the whole of scripture. It It means that the whole of it is about Jesus Christ. It is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he has accomplished. He's the focal point. Look at what Jesus said later there in verse 46. If you believed Moses, okay, he's again pointing to their scriptures. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. Wow. These were, these were the the ones who were the devoted followers and disciples of Moses. What does that mean? I mean, Jesus hadn't even been born when Moses was writing the scriptures. He's mentioned nowhere, right? But he's there. He's there. He's, He's patterned. In the Old Testament scriptures, he's patterned in the flood and the ark. He's patterned in the Passover and the Red Sea. 
He's patterned there in the wilderness and the coming into the promised land. He's patterned in the exile and the return of his people. He's patterned in the war and peace that you read of in the Old Testament. He's patterned in the kingdom that is there and the kings who reign on the throne. He's patterned in the prophets. He's patterned in the priests and in the temple and in the sacrifices and in the rituals and in the wisdom that we find in death and in life and in the songs of lament and in the songs of rejoicing and the lives of faithful sufferers and the blood of the righteous martyrs. There's Jesus. Jesus is promised in the Old Testament. His coming is promised. His suffering is spoken of. His glory is anticipated. And yes, the eyes of New Testament's authors, Jesus is present there. For example, in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58, Jesus said that he was the I am in whom Abraham rejoiced. In Hebrews eleven twenty six, 26, it says that it was Christ, Christ who motivated Moses to forsake the treasures of Egypt for a greater reward. In Jude, his one chapter there in verse 5, he says Jesus was the redeemer who brought Israel out of Egypt. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, Paul says that Christ was the rock in the wilderness from whom the nation drank. And in John chapter 12, John says that Jesus was the exalted king in Isaiah's vision of God's glory. And these aren't commentators saying these things. These are the authors of Scripture saying these things. The experts of Jesus' day searched the scriptures diligently, but they missed the point. And because they missed the point, they missed their Messiah when he came. If you don't want to miss the point about the coming of Christ, get into scripture. Just the simple admonition I'm going to give you this morning get into scripture. The scriptures bear witness of Christ. In fact, the the scriptures bear witness of Jesus in his nativity. Those who were waiting for and who were anticipating the coming of of Christ found, found, if you will, that, that strength and that expectation in God's word. For example, from Matthew's gospel in in Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23, when the angel appeared to Joseph, instructing him that he was to take Mary to be his wife, the angel encouraged Joseph with a word from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 that said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew 2 and verse 6, when the Magi inquired as to where the Christ, the King of the Jews, would be born, the chief priests and the scribes opened up to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, and according to, the, to the, uh, the breakdown of our text, where we read this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In Matthew 2 and verse 18, when Herod committed the atrocity that we know as the, the slaughter of the innocents, Matthew tells us that it fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 15, where we read these words, that a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15, when Joseph fled to Egypt with Mary and Jesus to escape 
Matthew tells us it was a fulfillment of Hosea 11.1, which says, out of Egypt I called my son. You turn to the nativity account in Luke, and in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, when the angel announced the birth of John to Zechariah, the angel quoted from the prophet Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, who wrote that this child would go, that his child would go before the Messiah in the power and the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In Matthew, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 26, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's that? It's described for you, again, by Isaiah in multiple passages. And the Lord had sent Simeon word that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah. And when he did, Simeon declared, Let now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to what? Your word. And then in Luke chapter 2 and verse 38, we meet Anna, who was called a prophetess, which tells us that she had some kind of ministry related to the word. When she saw the Christ child, we're told she spoke of him to all those who looked or who waited for redemption in Jerusalem. And what is that? Well, she was echoing Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that was Anna. The scriptures bear witness the test uh, of, of Jesus in his nativity. In these few weeks that we have, as we think of this season, this Advent season, we're, we're thinking on the theme of waiting. Waiting. If you don't want to miss the point of this season, devote yourself to waiting in God's word. Devote yourself to that. That's something you can choose to do. We talked last week. I mean, a lot, a lot of waiting is just sort of thrust upon us, and, and, and we, have, we have no say in it. It comes. It comes. But we can choose how we wait. Well, here, here's an area that we, can, that we can make a choice in as we think of this matter of waiting, this, this idea of waiting and, and expectation. You can choose to do this. You can choose to devote yourself to the Word of God, to wait in God's Word. Those who didn't devote themselves to the word, they missed him at his first advent. But those who were waiting had been inspired and their waiting had been formed by the word that God had spoken. See, God's word does that. God's word inspires and God's word forms and God's word shapes because because it communicates most clearly what God has to say. See, God's word communicates more than anything else. This is what you need to know. This is what God wants you to know. God has spoken, and he has given us his word. He has superintended the giving of that word. He has seen that that word is preserved and proclaimed because this is what you need to know. And as it goes for right now in this day and time when it comes to what is most important in your life and what most needs to be settled, this is all God has to say. 
So if, you're, if you haven't found yet what it is you think you're looking for, either you're not paying attention to this or you're ignoring what has been said here because God has said what he needs to say. And what he has said here is what we need to know. He's given us everything that pertains to really understanding what this life is about, what we are to be doing with these, this temporary brief time we are given on this earth. What are we to do with this life that's been given to us? And what's going to happen after this life? He has told us. What's wrong with me? He's told us. What's wrong with our world? He's told us. What's going to fix everything? He's told us. And so God's word communicates. It communicates most clearly what God has to say to us. But God's word doesn't just communicate. God's word also creates. God's word creates. And and you're introduced to that way back in the first page of the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you will read repeatedly over the next six days, every single day of creation starts with, and God said, and God said, and God said. And the scriptures testify multiple other places that it was by the word of the Lord that the earth was formed and the heavens were made. He said, and it happened, and it came to pass. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says that it is God's word that can convert or restore that innermost part of our being. The word of God doesn't just communicate to us. The word of God does something within us. It creates. It brings us back to where we need to be in our relationship to God because this word is living and powerful. And as a living, powerful word, it can create within us what God wants for us. One of the things that I am continuing to learn in my own spiritual journey is that what God requires of me, his word will create in me if I will believe what he has said. What God requires of me, his word will create in me if I will believe it. God is not unreasonable. He is not tyrannical. He said, this is is what you got to understand. This is what I require of you. This is what's happening. This is where it's all going. How high is the standard for us? Well, like, infinitely high. How in the world can we do this? God said, I will create within you the ability to do this. I will give you what you need. I will create within you the life that this is all about. His word creates. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul declares that we are transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord which results in us being transformed into that same image. So, So by beholding the glory of the Lord, we are changed one degree after another into the likeness of that very same glory. That's how God changes us. That's how God creates and and then continues to form and shape that which he has created within us. We fix our eyes on the glory of the Lord. And that glory of the Lord is is what progressively is changing and transforming us. How do we do that? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6... Paul writes that that we behold this glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
And where do we behold that glory? Well, Paul answers that question in that chapter where we are told that we behold it in the gospel so much. uh, We behold it in the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We behold the glory of the Lord most clearly in the gospel, so much so that Paul calls that gospel the gospel of the glory of Christ. In this present time, we cannot see the glory of the Lord directly like we will when he comes again. We read about he will come again in clouds of glory. We don't see him that way right now. Right now, right now we most clearly see his glory in his word. The gospel is a message of words about a person. And in hearing, by God's grace, we see. By hearing... We see. By hearing the words of the Lord, by hearing the gospel of the glory of Christ, we see the glory of Christ. We behold the glory of God. Words are heard and glory is seen and we are changed. What that means from what Paul is saying is that the way we see this transforming glory of the Lord isn't mainly with our eyes, but our ears. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We see the glory of Christ by hearing the gospel of Christ. We see the glory of God by paying attention and hearing the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord has has always been crucial to how God changes people. In that word, which is inspired by the Spirit of God, we behold the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, who revealed the glory of God to us. And in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 12, he tells us that all who believed in him and all who accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God, and that those who believed in and accepted him were reborn. That's an act of creation. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, but with a birth that comes from God. The incarnated flesh, Jesus Christ, proclaimed through the inscripturated word of the scriptures. We we learn, we behold, we see, and through that, God brings new birth. Jesus displays God's glory. What he said, what he did, what he accomplished there in the scriptures recorded under the Spirit's direction. And so we don't see him with these eyes, but with the eyes of faith as we open his word. And that is the word that changes us. That is the word that makes us into a new kind of people. That is the word and the power of the Spirit that creates within us a new heart. And so the old animosities... The old fears, the guilt, the shame, they drain away. They drain away through this new life that we have in God's word. And those things are replaced with the ability to love and to forgive and to experience peace in the storms, to have a new life that gives us a new perspective on life so that we don't miss the point of life. God's word communicates. God's word creates. Because God's word reveals to us Jesus Christ. And that's what you most need to know. So this season, 
I'm exhorting you to wait in the Word. Wait in the Word. So how can you do that? How can you do that? Number one, just set aside time to be in God's Word every day. I would encourage you, whether or not it's your extended time or not, to let God's words be the first words that you hear every day of your life. Before you start listening to what the news wants to tell you is going on in our world, before you start checking emails and text messages and all that, how, how about, what, what if, and, and, and again, I'm not, saying, I'm not asking you for 365 days, I'm asking you between now and Christmas, between now and Christmas, to let the first word that you hear be God's word. Just start every day that way. Start every day that way. If, if daily time in, in, in God's word has not been a part of your, of, of your daily discipline and practice, I, I, I would encourage you to commit that for the remainder of this season, you're going to be in God's word every day. Just try it. Just try it. If it's already your practice to spend time in God's word every day, can I just encourage you maybe to just add a little extra time this season? Add a little extra time this season. You know what happens? We get busy in this season because we add extra things into the season, don't we? I mean, it, it's, it's part of it. We, we have extra tasks that need to be taken care of and, and, and all of those things that are part of traditions and getting together, which, which are fine. But, but sometimes what gets shaved off can be the very thing we need the most, which is time with God and time in his word. So don't let all the stuff of Christmas take you away from his word by any means. Get into his word. Read it with expectancy. I wonder what what God will say to me today. I wonder what he has today. Can you imagine starting every day that way? Getting up. I wonder what God has to say today. Starting your day that way. So set aside time to be in God's word every day. Here's a second, just a second piece of counsel. Slow down. Slow down and read it carefully. One of the things I, I have found in my own, just my own reading, and, and I find that it carries over sometimes into Bible reading, is I read too fast. I, I read it too fast. Um, and when I'm, when I'm reading, I, I find when I'm reading too fast, that's part of the reason I'm not remembering what I'm reading. And, and so... And so and so I have a choice. I can either like stop, okay, I need to go back and read that again, or I just sort of keep barreling on down through it. And, and I get it because I've been there because there's a sense in which, man, I've got to get this read. Um, I'm just encouraging you when, you. when you open up your Bible and you have time, slow down. Slow down. Don't, don't read to get through it, but read to let it get in you. Let it get in you. I'm convinced that often what we need isn't deeper study, but slower reading. So slow down. Slow down. Well, how can you do that? Because our minds start racing. I don't know. But do it. Read it out loud. I don't know. I I can, you know, mentally things happen a lot faster than when I actually had to verbalize. If you want to slow down in your Bible reading, read it out loud. That might help you slow down. Certainly meditate upon it, which the scriptures call us to. Mull it over in your mind. 
Take some time to think about what you've just read and chew on that a bit. Toss it around in your mind and in your heart as you, as you look at where you're at, what's happening in your life right now, what's happening in your family. Take that word and, and just mull that over in your mind. So meditate upon it. I think another thing that would help slow, slow you down is just pray it back to God. Take that word and let that word be your, become your prayer to God. Whatever God has communicated, however he has, has communicated it to you. One of the things you can do as you've read down, you can, you can take whatever is being, is being said there, whatever is being taught, whatever counsel, advice, wisdom, whatever example is there before you, turn it into a prayer back to God for your own life. Journal it. Journal it. Um, man, writing really slows me down, <laughs> especially if I want to read what I wrote later on. Um, so, so read, <clears throat> read and write. Read and write. Uh, as you read, as you think, as you meditate. Uh, there's been times before when I've taken what I was just reading and I actually wrote a prayer. I wrote a prayer back to God based on what I had just read in the scriptures. It slowed me down. It slowed me down. But, but whether or not you do all those things, I'm just encouraging you in this season that things can, the pace can accelerate if you, want, if you want to get more out of your time in the word, slow down. Slow down. Number three, here's another way you can wait in the word this season. Read God's word as a family. Read God's word as a family. You may already do that. If, if not, maybe this could be a new tradition that you'd start. At least for now, you'd start this new tradition in the Advent or in the Christmas season. That you, will, that you will read God's word together as a couple or as a family. Um, again, if, that's not, if, that, if that would be something new to you, then maybe just commit for the rest of this season that you will lead your family in reading God's word. But let me add this on. Don't just read God's word. Talk about it. I, I have observed that sometimes we're, 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 you know, okay, we get comfortable reading God's word maybe with others or even with our families, but we're just not as comfortable talking about the scriptures. Dad's talking about the scriptures to your children and, and, and mom's talking, actually reading and talking about what these scriptures, talking about with your children, actually having a, having a discussion together about what God has said. Very healthy. And, and I just encourage you, make whatever changes you have to make in your routines. I, I, I'm understanding how hard it is sometimes to get families together. The older they get, everyone has their schedules and everyone's running which direction. I was just reading again an article this week on, on you know, the disappearance of, of really any kind of family mealtime together. Um, I'm not going to comment on, on the, the, the spirituality or lack thereof in that practice. I'm just saying family, you know, times around the table... Times around the table traditionally have been a great time to talk together as a family, to share together even what's been going on in our lives. And what a great time to open the word of God. So, so I, I would just say make whatever changes that you need to make to your routines, whether it be at mealtime, whether it be a part of bedtime, but do what you need to do to read the word of God together. As a family, wait in the word together this season. And then finally, this word, whatever you do, whatever you do as you read the word, don't miss Jesus. <laughs> don't miss him. Perhaps, could I put it this way? Perhaps 
as you open the word? Why don't you wait there until you see them? And, and I'm not encouraging you to, to look for all kinds of weird typologies, okay? There's, there, 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 are, there are things that do disservice. There are interpretations that do disservice to the scriptures. Beware of that. But, but if we take what Jesus, if you take the sense of what Jesus was communicating, all right, uh, he, he's not saying that every, that every comma and every letter, you know, is him. But he is saying these things point to him, which tells me this. I don't care where you're at in scripture. Jesus isn't very far away. Wherever you find yourself in the scriptures, if you will just take time to, to wait before the Lord and to look, you're going to, all of a sudden you're going to, there he is. There he is. Because if, if, if we don't, if we don't come away from, from having spent time in the word and, and before the Lord and, and, and dealing with the word fairly, dealing with the word honestly, if all you come away with are some principles for life and some morality tales, we've missed the point. It points to Jesus Christ. And so maybe, maybe when we open the word, don't read stuff into the word that's not there, but understand that wherever you're at, Jesus is pretty close by. So wait until you see him. Wait until you hear him. Whether in the pattern in the promise, in the personal presence. Don't miss them. So this season, wait in the word. That's where you meet the one who's coming we celebrate. So meet him in the word so you don't misunderstand who he is, so you don't miss why he came. Because, you know, to meet Jesus at the manger, but to never meet him at the cross, is to miss the point. Father, help us to see Christ, to behold Christ, his beauty, his glory, his grace, his truth, his mercy. The one who came to redeem us from our sins, the one who came to wash us clean to bring forgiveness, the one who came to give us life that we might go from death to life, the one who came that we might be restored and brought back to you, the one who came that we might have new life through new birth, the one who did it all, Jesus Christ, the one who continues to do it all in our lives, the one who continues to form and to shape and to fashion us, the one into whose image we are being shaped every, every day of our lives, the one who in his very essence, in his face, communicates to us the glory of God. May we gaze upon him. May we long for him. May we love him. May we trust him all that we are. God forbid that we would miss him. So Lord, turn us to Christ. This morning, Father, for anyone that is gathered here, and in all honesty, they, they have perhaps bowed before this child in the manger, but 
in, their, in, in the honesty of, of, of their heart before you, they have never bowed at the cross of Jesus Christ to acknowledge him as Savior of their sin. Today, Lord God, clear that up that they not miss the point. All of this testifies of Christ who came to redeem us. So this morning, Father, for that one who's never called upon Christ to be their Savior, may they do so today. Forgive us in the hurry of our lives for neglecting your word. Forgive us, Lord God, for those times when we have not had time and have not made time to sit down in quietness with you, to hear from you. Time to behold Christ. Lord, in this season, may, may you by your grace just renew that within us that we might see what you will do in our lives because we've waited in your word. So work for your glory and our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.